Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Thank you so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. Um, you know, when I was a kid and, and my dad um, got saved, listen, my dad started 34 years ago a ministry in the Tenderloin District called City Impact. And... Um, I was about, I don't know, two years old at the time when he started it. But, see, my parents are first-generation Christians. We don't come from a long line of pastors. He got saved, actually, off of Jimmy Swaggart on TV. Come on, that's some, <laughs> God could use anyone. And, uh, but when I was growing up, they always used to say about San Francisco, it's a graveyard for churches. And this is the place where you come to, to make your ministry die. And, man, to walk in this morning, to be greeted by, you know, Nathan and this wonderful team and to see what God's doing here in Noe Valley in just a year. You don't understand. Look, I tell my kids this all the time. It's so hard to recognize a miracle when you're in the middle of it. It is. It's so hard. because, it, But, like, five years removed, you'll look back and be like, man, that was a miracle. And that's what, uh, that's what Sozo is to us. Uh, my name is Christian, and I wanted to just show you a quick picture of my family, although I, didn't, I wasn't expecting them to come today, but they're in the back row. Um, it's hard to wake them up sometimes, but this is my wife uh, up there next to me, and I know what you're thinking, like, wow, is she blind? <laughs> um, no, no, she's not. Um, that's my wife. We've been married 16 years, and I have four kids, and look, just like any good Asian father, I named my three boys good, strong Jewish names. Come on. Um, so we have a Malachi, which means God's messenger. And then I have Micah, which means who's like Jehovah. And then I have Levi, my, my, my youngest, my last boy, which means harmony with God. And then we had Maya. You know, she's number three. And I figured I named all the boys. Corey, you should get a chance at naming one of these. And, and so I said, Corey, you, you named the daughter, and her name is Maya, M-A-I-Y-A. Which means, get the, Rice Valley. <laughs> no spiritual significance, please pray for her. Um, my, my wife and I and our family, we, you know, I'm a San Francisco native, born and raised in San Francisco. We have uh, each of, each, yeah, thank you. Um, each one of our kids are, are born in different hospitals across the city, CPMC on California, Kaiser on Gary, UCSF on, on, on Parnassus. I mean, we're all over. We love San Francisco. We're not bandwagon warrior fans. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. We welcome everyone, though. Thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our journey is, you know, my dad, you know, started a ministry in the Tenderloin 34 years ago. My wife and I, we, we, uh, we, we served there for about nine years, you know, ministering to youth. And then, and then you know, I, I, just like most people, like I wanted to afford a house. I wanted to start a family. So we left. We left the city. We went out to the Central Valley. And I, and I got into the corporate world. And I was selling occupational medicine. And we did that for a few years. And the Lord really blessed us. And we had a great time. I mean, we were living in the edge of a cul-de-sac. 4,000 square foot home. Come on, somebody. Um, my wife and I were driving Mercedes, and we had a great paying job. We were comfortable. And then a girl that I grew up with, her name is Anna. This is a picture of Anna. I bring a picture with her everywhere I go. Anna. Because she's not a statistic for me. She's not just some, some glossy brochure story that I came across. This is a friend that I grew up with right here in the Tenderloin District. In 2011, again, my wife and I, we were in the corporate world, and Anna called out of nowhere. She used to be in our youth ministry. 
Uh, for three years, we had Bible study in her home every single week with, with her family. We led the whole family, well, the Holy Spirit led them all to Jesus. We were a part of the process. And, um, and, and so when she called and said, I'm in deep trouble, we said, absolutely, come over to the house. Tell us what's going on. She came over one night, and I said, Anna, where have you been? I haven't seen you in a few years. And she went on a two-hour story of how she was trafficked for two years. Up and down San Francisco, down to L.A. and back, just crazy. She just went on. No emotions, matter of fact, story after story after story for two years. For two hours, she talked about these, these two years she was suffering through this injustice. And when we went to bed that night, I mean, my wife and I were crying the whole time. And my wife, I, I never forget it. She turned to me that night and she said, look, we have one of two choices here. Either pretend we just, like, we didn't hear what we just heard or we have to change our lifestyle. We got to do something. We just can't hear that and they just keep going about our life. And so in, in 2011, you know, we quit everything and we came back to the city. And uh, in the last six years, we helped my dad with City Impact. And then last year, I'm just telling you a little bit of our story so we can gain some, some common ground and then we'll dive into the word. But, but last year, we stepped out of City Impact and this was a tough transition for us. Uh, we're stepping out of City Impact and everyone, especially... My in-laws, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> Come on, in-law pressuring me to provide. What are you going to do? Do you have something lined up? I know you wouldn't just quit if you don't have nothing to do. Uh, friends, what do you, so what do you do next? You know, f- uh, family members, friends, everyone around, what are you doing? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, can I tell you something? We knew we needed to step out, but we had nothing lined up, and we started feeling all this external pressure for us to produce We started feeling all this external pressure of people's perceptions. And I'll never forget it because I didn't have an answer for most people. I would change the subject right away. Oh, you know what I'm saying. You know God's got it taken care of. How about those warriors? You know, like anything. Let's just not talk about what we're doing because I don't know. And I'm feeling all this pressure. And then I remember uh, uh, my friend, he, he was turning 50 and he invited me over to his house. And he said, hey, it's my 50th birthday party. And for my birthday party, I want my friends and family to pray for three hours. I was like, dude, this is not the kind of party I like, you know. For the first hour, I was angry that we were praying instead of like partying. And then the second hour, I was like falling asleep. But then something happened in the third hour where I started to realize Man, God started like shifting the focus and, and, and I started to look internally like within myself and I realized something that, that man, my, my, I wasn't healthy at the time. Coming out of one thing, trying to figure out what to do next, but like the Lord was like, whoa, whoa, whoa I want you to look at your heart. And, 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 and I, we started to look internally and, and, and showing me that my priorities were wrong because I was spending and expending all this energy trying to figure out what to do. And, and I looked at my, my friend. He was up there near the altar. It was his church. And, 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 sorry, it was at his house, but then we walked down to this church. It was weird. But uh, it's the weirdest birthday party I've ever been a part of, seriously. <laughs> I was just like, I just want to eat Chinese food and, like, go to bed. And... Uh, and then I looked at, so in the middle of the party, I saw my friend, he's 50 years old, and he was just worshiping, and his wife was on her knees, and, and her, his children were at the altar, and they were all crying out to God, and then God immediately spoke. Like, I'm not, the wrong question to ask is, what am I supposed to do? It really is, and it, sh- it should be, the question should be, who am I becoming? That's where the priority is, because everything we do, I'm, I'm talking to us, church, everything we do flows out of who we are. So when people are saying, what are you doing? 
What are you going to do? What are you going to do? No, no, no. The real question is, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And so when Pastor Jason asked me to speak, he said, I want you to talk about what you're passionate about, and that would encourage a one-year-old church. So I just have two points for you, very simple. Stay put and pursue the one. Stay put and pursue the one, because in Exodus chapter 32, I'll just summarize it for the time, uh, for, for time's sake. Um, Moses is on the mountain with God. And he is seeking God, and he's talking with God. And it's clear, everyone, all the Israelites, Aaron, his assistant, they all know that Moses is up there with God, but it's taking a long time because God's given them instructions of how the Israelites are supposed to live. And in the midst of waiting, the Israelite says, I don't know what happened to that guy Moses. It's taking way too long. And so what does Aaron do? He buckles onto the people's pressure, and he says, you know what? You're right. He's taking too long. Everyone, give me your gold earrings. Give me your gold bracelets, your necklaces. And he fashioned a false god, a golden calf. And then everyone started to worship. And he says, look, this is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. Folks, when I read the Old Testament, let me just tell you this. Here's a little trick for the Old Testament. We look at the Israelites and we say, oh, my gosh, how dumb are you? God just brought you out and and now you're going to serve this this God that you just created and saying that's the God that got you out. But when when you read the Old Testament, I want you to realize this one thing. It's like looking at a piece of art 100 feet away saying, wow, that is really ugly. Only to realize that as you get closer, it's a mirror. That's the Old Testament. That is the Old Testament. Because we look at the Israelites and say, how dumb are you? Just wait. God will give you the instruction. God will deliver you. He did it before. He'll do it again. But in the midst of waiting, we get antsy. And so we fashion this God. And, and, and you know what? We're just like them. We're just like them. Because in our human nature, we are angsty. We're impatient. We always want to accomplish something and do. In fact, the mantra of the world is this. Don't just stand there. Do something. But in the kingdom of God, it's completely all. God flips everything the right side up. And God says to all of us as Christians, don't just do something. Stand there. My favorite verse in Exodus is Exodus 14, 14, where it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's it, man. Like staying, staying put. Being quiet, being still actually takes more faith than doing. Because it's like when you put the emphasis on you doing, you're putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. (laughs) Waiting and being still puts the emphasis on God doing the work. Do you know how hard it is to stay put? Think about it. I would venture to say it takes more faith to stay put. Why? Because when you have to stay put, and then people and perceptions and pressure start to mount up, it takes an inner confidence and an inner security to actually tell all those people, be quiet. Because I'm on assignment from God, and he hasn't told me anything yet except to just do the last thing, and I'm just going to stay here until it gets done. To stay put, you got to fight two types of pressure. The first pressure is this. You have to fight the pressure to produce. Now here's the thing about God. When God calls you to do something, the determinant of success for God is faithfulness, not fruitfulness. 
What God considers success is not what American Christianity or American corporate world considers success. They just want you to produce and you feel it in your corporation. They treat people like ladders. So long as you're no longer useful for them, they discard you. God is not like that. He's not. His determinant of success is faithfulness. Do you know how many prophets he told to stand up and preach to deaf ears? And in our eyes, we say, well, that's a failing ministry. You only got like 17 followers on Instagram. No one's listening to you. And God would say, no, but he's faithful. That's success in God's eyes. The test is faithfulness. God commanded Noah, okay, build an ark. How many years? It took years, folks. Okay, it's not like he just built it overnight. It took years to build this boat. By the way, there hadn't been any rain yet on the earth, okay? So he was ridiculed by neighbors, probably by his in-laws, probably by, seriously, like, dude, what are you doing? Your husband's gone crazy, right? And, but you know what? It takes an inner confidence to stay put. To stay the course. Because God demands faithfulness. He called David at 13. Anointed at 13. He didn't get the kingdom till 30. 17 years. How many times? I think about this all the time. I think about this all the time. Just because I was kind of raised in the Tenderloin District. So I'm always thinking that I'm going to get jumped. All right. So that's just how I feel. Even as I worship today, I tie my backpack around my ankle. Keep one eye open just in case. Come on, somebody. Right. That's just how I operate. All right. By the way, I've never been in a fight, never thrown a punch. I'm a cuddler. The Lord has anointed me to cuddle. But I'll tell you this. When I think of David, okay, anointed at 13, then all of a sudden he's got these mighty men. Read about the mighty men. These folks were crazy. Guys that would just kill people. At what year would David cave under the pressure what year, like, think about leading these mighty men who are killers, okay? And you've been telling them for 17 years, don't worry, I'm going to get the kingdom. Don't worry, year three. I'm going to get the kingdom, year four, year five. Just even count to 17, 14, 15, 16. That's a lot of pressure for David to produce. The mighty men are saying, hey, when are we going to get this thing? You've promised me for 17 years. Listen, faithfulness. Think about when God promised Abraham, I'll give you descendants as many as the stars in the sky. Think about, he actually was not faithful. He caved under the pressure to produce. His wife was like, if you don't give me a kid, sleep with her. She'll give you a kid. Hagar. And then they had Ishmael. And Abraham was not faithful in that regard. He caved under the pressure to produce. He took matter into his own hands and he settled for a cheap substitute just like Aaron did. This is the real pressure. Why is there pressure? Why is there pressure? Because when God calls you, let me just tell you this, folks. When God calls you, he will equip you. But here's what we got to realize in our, mind, in, in our minds. He equips you with all you need. But what does, he equip with, what does he equip us with? He equips you with raw materials. God is the God of raw materials. He gives you the raw materials. He does not hand out finished products. God is the God of dirt and seed and sunlight and rain. He did not give Noah a boat. He gave him a command. Well, well, well God, uh, I don't want this seed. This is what God, God will tell Jen and Jason, leave Alabama. Alabama, right? 
Louisiana. It's all the same to me. It ain't San Francisco. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. God bless you. Louisiana. Leave Louisiana, all right? And, 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 and they're saying, Lord. And, and you know what he does? Here's, here's God. He goes, go start a church in Noe Valley. Here's some seed. Here's some seed. That, that's all he hands out all the time, seed. He goes, I got you. I got the rain. I got the soil. I got all the elements. I'm the God of raw material. I'll just equip you with seed. And our prayer is, Lord, we don't want seed. We want Ikea. <laughs> Ikea, Lord, put it in a box for me, God. Not only that, prefab the material, prefabricated material, a list of instructions with the right tools because I want to be done with your assignment in one hour. That's how, we, that's how we operate. And yet God does not operate like that. God only says, no, 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 seed. Seed. That's how God operates. By the way, I've never really preached with props ever. But Nathan emailed me and said, do you need props? I said, what the heck? Yeah, sure. I literally wanted to see if it would actually materialize. I'm from an inner city church, right? Like if the mic works, I'm good, all right? And so the fact that we can have props, I just wanted to have them after, I guess. We want everything in a box. We want instructions. We want tools. We want prefab, but God doesn't do it. Why? Man, because Mark 4, Jesus even said this about the kingdom. He said, look, Mark 4, verses 26 to 29, Jesus said this. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What does it mean? God's kingdom takes a while. It does. This is what the kingdom is like. It's not, God does not give out trees. He gives out seed. God provides seed. Not the prefab material. You know, my wife, the godliest person I know, she prayed for years, God, give me a mature, godly, fine husband. This was when she just got saved in college. What did God do? He gave her seed. <laughs> Immature. Chubby little Asian. That was, did I mention Immature. <laughs> Why? Because my immaturity developed her patience. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and if God would have given her what she asked for in the beginning, she wouldn't be half as patient as she is today. God was working in her through me. I'm just a vessel. No, but that's how God works. So, so why is there this pressure? Because there's this pressure because he gives seed, not, not, the, not the finished outcome. And, and in, in addition to that, what creates more pressure is the fact that we are all subject to seasons. Oftentimes, you know, when I think about how God works in his kingdom, I think about and I'm reminded that with God there are no shortcuts. There aren't any. There are basic principles that he's established on the earth. In fact, in Genesis 8.22, it says, as long as the earth remains, as long as there is an earth and it'll endure, seed time and harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, and day and night will never cease. God has spoken certain principles. They are in motion. We can't bypass it. We're all subject to it. Now, 
God works through these seasons that he's already put in place. It's just how he does things. I, I think about that powerful song from Hillsong called Seasons. And this is the bridge. It says, God, I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, I'm not done waiting. You see, my promise, even in the winter, because you're the God of greatness, even in a manger, for all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second, but you sent a child. That's, that's God. How did God work the sal salvation plan on the earth? He didn't send a full-grown son of man riding, riding on a white horse with a scepter in his hand. That comes later. That's revelation. How did God send salvation on the earth? Through a baby susceptible to hunger and sickness and crying. Why? Because we have to realize this. Even Jesus, the son of God, was subject to the processes and seasons of God. He had to. But God, why, why, do you, why do you make us go through this? But, but why do you have to make us go through this long, enduring process? Well, I, I'll just tell you this. If you don't remember anything, you don't have to remember anything. Just remember this. Because God's goal for you is not the goal you have for yourself. We pray, God, should I go to Dropbox, Salesforce, or you know, Uber? Where should I work? And God's like, like you're talking Chinese to me. Like the A, B, and C. He goes, I want you to do one. Okay, we're saying, God, which three do I, what do I do? And he goes, no, 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 my goal for you is, is, is not occupational. God's goal, no matter what, no matter who, in this room, front to back, left to right, God's single goal for all of us is to conform us into the image of his son. Period. And whatever job or relationship or city you live in or whatever, whatever's going to get the job done to conform you, he'll allow it. He'll allow it. You're like, I hate my job. And God's like, yeah, I did that for a reason. <laughs> Why is it important to fight this pressure to produce? Because there is a difference, folks, between these two things. They look the same. They look the same. But they're not. This is fake. Fake fruit. This is fake fruit right here. This is real fruit. And you cannot get the real fruit. Unless you go through the process. That was my second prop. Good job, Nathan. <laughs> Let me tell you something about fruit. You can't microwave fruit. You have to plant it. And you have to wait. And in the waiting, don't settle for a cheap substitute. Because at the end of our life, when we say, Lord, here it is. And he'll say, did you settle for a cheap substitute? Because I gave you seed. I expected Fruit. Don't be driven by external forces to produce something that only the Spirit of God can produce. Don't revert. Don't give up. Have you been praying for a miracle today? Seriously. Have you been praying for a miracle? Don't give up. The power's in the waiting, in the being still. In the end, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm telling you, you can't get well done unless you go through the fire of monotony, the fire of waiting. Number one thing I tell millennials all the time, when they, you know, I love millennials. I am millennial. I made the cutoff, 1981. Come on. <laughs> My wife, she's born in the 70s. Let's not go there. All right. She was, 79. Um, I tell them, stay planted. 
Stay planted. You want, you want advice? Stay planted. You want advice? Stay planted. Because if you want to bear fruit, you got to stay planted. Imagine trying to bear that plant right there, but uprooting every month. Taking the seed out every month. How are you going to bear fruit? You keep uprooting. Well, this church offended me. Congratulations, okay? Stay planted long enough to get offended and then learn the ability to forgive. For in that, you have then bared the fruit of the Spirit called grace and forgiveness. If you cut and run every time you're offended, you will end up at the end of your life with fake fruit. This has nothing to do with a sermon, but I do want you to iTunes, The Four Seasons of Loneliness by Boys to Men, honestly, for two reasons. Number one, it's just an incredible song, okay? <laughs> it comes the winter breeze that chills the air and bliss the snow, uh, and now you imagine kissing you under the mistletoe. When springtime makes its way here, lilac blooms remind me of the scent of your per As you can tell, I'm a singer too. And uh, <laughs> The Four Seasons of Loneliness. A great R&B song that teaches us that even in our relationships, we got to go through four seasons, folks. Uh, well, that, that, guy didn't work, that, that, that guy didn't work out. That girl didn't work out. Yeah, but have you even stayed four seasons? To stay put, you also have to fight the pressure of people's perceptions. You know, sometimes I get invited to speak to, like, young Asian American groups. And, and for, for Asian Americans, we have this pressure often to... Uh, we have what I call the, 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 the false idol of parents' expectations. And it really is across all cultures, honestly. And we have uh, uh, people, people's perceptions and expectations of us no matter what culture we are in. But, but with young Asian Americans, I tell them all the time, look, until you realize that you need to stop bowing to the false God of your parents' expectations, you will never, you will never truly serve God. And I remind them of one simple thought. That at the end of your life, you don't give an account to your parents. There's all this pressure from parents to do this and go there and do this and produce. And people's perception and your family members, you show up, you're in ministry. And you show up and they're like, oh, yeah, Yale and Harvard and graduated students. And, you know, and then you show up and you're just like, you know, I'm discipling someone. They're like, what? But at the end of your life, you give an account to God. Not your family. Church, we're called to stay put, to fight the pressure to produce, fight the pressure of people's perceptions. I do want to read this verse in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. When we have this pressure of people's perceptions, and they want us to produce, and, and we care about what people think. How do we actually combat that? Jesus gives us a formula. It's in Matthew 6. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites in the synagogues do, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, to truly combat the pressure of people's perceptions, we have to switch. We have to switch why we're doing what we're doing and who we're doing it for. 
ultimately, we have to do a certain amount of things in secret as unto the Lord. You know, and I understand the tension. You know, as a ministry leader, I've learned one of the best ways to inspire people and to tell stories and get people involved, like in the nonprofits that we've led. It's like, man, we got to post things on social media. You know, we got we to gotta produce a video. We got to let people know. I understand that, man. That, I mean, we wouldn't have half the donations that we have unless we, we, we showed the world what we were doing. But the measure of accountability for us as Christians unto Jesus is to do a certain number of things in secret. Don't post everything. Have some measure of your life where it's truly intimacy with just you and God. Serve in secret. Give anonymously. Set an example even when no one is looking. Don't just serve when the church shows up. We have to have Colossians 3, Spirit. It says work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord, not unto men. Man, I'll tell you, that's where we got to shift our expectations. That's where we got to shift. Like, we, there's all this pressure for people's perception of our life, and, and we have to produce, and we have to do this. And I'm telling you, if you can get this one shift, do everything as unto the Lord. His opinion is the only one that matters. The second thing I'll just tell the church, second thing, that was like an 18th. I'm not really great at numbers, but uh, is pursue the one. I want to mention... Just the fact that I know we're in San Francisco, and I've met a lot of people who, who won't do for, for, for one unless it is seemingly going to solve the issue for all. In other words, they'll, they'll read books about like justice or missions, and then they'll somehow formulate almost an excuse that unless we're solving systemic issues, we shouldn't perpetuate the problem by serving at all. I, I literally had a guy the other day say, well, I, I don't think we should serve meals in San Francisco, because there's not, I mean, relative to the world poor, like world's poor, it's not true hunger. And I, and I, I just, in my mind, thinking like, well, do you have dinner plans? Like, seriously, have you ever really been hungry? You, don't, you have no idea. Like, and, and they'll say, I don't believe we should serve meals because we're going to perpetuate these issues. It's, it's really toxic charity. It's amazing how our man-made theories often override the simple commands of Jesus to feed, to clothe, to wash their feet, to give a cup of cold water, to visit the lonely. That's the heart of God. And I get it. We're in San Francisco. We want to solve all the root issues. We want to tackle all the root causes. And I get it. And we, We're supposed to. As Christians, we're called to government. We should fix systemic issues in government. Systemic racism, systemic oppression. We need Christians to infiltrate, not infiltrate, I don't want to sound like we're at war, but we need to get in these spheres of government and education and healthcare and, and all the, in the marketplace. We need Christians to show up and fix systemic issues. Yes, it's in our DNA. However, we are made in God's image, okay, and according to God's heart. Yes, he wants us to solve the systemic issues. But along the way, he'll also sprinkle along our path one person at a time. Because that's the heart of God. In pursuit of solving systemic issues, we also must pursue the one. God wants us to fix the big issues. I, I'm sure of it. But he'll sprinkle along our path one life at a time. Why? Because God's heart. God's heart. What is God's heart? I, I thought to myself a few years ago, I was thinking about, you know, the fact that Jesus, it never says in the Bible that Jesus explicitly laughed or smiled. 
Like, does it bother anyone? It bothered me the other day. I was like, man, I don't know if Jesus ever laughed. I don't know if Jesus ever smiled. Like, is Jesus kind of a dark guy? You know, like, little bend toward, like, and I don't believe that at all. And didn't have to say in the scripture. I'm sure he hung out with his disciples, had great times, great laughs. It just doesn't say it explicitly, except in Luke 15. The Bible says that God rejoices, rejoices. And then it says later on in that same chapter, Luke 15, that God throws a party. And I'm like, okay, here's something that makes God happy. Here's something that makes God laugh and enjoy himself. And what is it? Luke 15, read it when you go home later. It's the parable of the lost, what is it? (laughs) The lost, you know, sheep, there it goes, the lost coin and the lost son. It's three parables talking about the exact same thing, the fact that God gets excited and happy when just one person returns to him. That's God's heart. It's not economical though, right? It's not economical. It's, it's, it's not even efficient. Think about it. There's a woman. She loses one coin. She flips the whole house over to find one coin. Then she throws a party that costs more than the one coin. Why does God do that? Why does God leave things like that in the Bible? To, for us to realize God is extravagant with his love. It ain't economical. It doesn't make any economic sense. Why in the world, Jen, would you come and leave comfortable Louisiana where you have a beautiful home and a beautiful yard and a big SUV to come to this place, spend this amount of money to reach these people in Noe Valley and in this city? Why? It ain't economical. That's just how God works. He likes it when just one comes to know him. That's just how he works. That's just one soul. I love my favorite story about Jesus. It's so gangster. Jesus is so gangster. Luke chapter 8, where he tells his disciples, get in the boat. We're going over to this area. They get in the boat. What's the first thing they encounter? Huge storm. They almost all die. He calms the storm. And we all write songs about that one thing. Because the next part of the song is hard to write a song about. I, I encourage you to do it. But uh, because it's about him setting a demon-possessed man free. But that's the whole point of the story. He goes through a storm. He risks his disciples' lives. They almost all die for what? To set one man free. And on top of that, when he sets the demon-possessed man free, the demons say, God, send us into the pigs. A couple thousand pigs then fall off a cliff and drown. For me, as an Asian, when I read that, I say, Lord, why you got to waste the pork? I understand risking your life, trying to help someone. I understand setting a demon-possessed man free. I understand we got to reach one soul at a time. But why you got to waste so much money on the pork? Like, that's good meat. That's good meat. Barbecue pork, roast pork. Think about it. Bacon. Why, Lord? Why? I think God leaves little scriptures like that. For us to realize, if you actually do the math, by the way, a herd of pigs, like a couple thousand pigs, and then in today's U.S. dollars, it's like eight pounds per dollar. I mean, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars, folks. Why, Lord? Why would you go through all that for one guy? A demon? In fact, they were so mad that their town's economy was, was sunken that they were like, we don't want the one guy. We want the pigs back. And God says, no, no, no. I'll spend anything to get one guy. I need some keys, so. Thank you, man.
can you play Four Seasons of Lonely? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would, right? Man. I, you know, my wife and I, we want to fix the systemic issue. And we're not here trying to pitch a ministry or anything. I mean, we have no, no but we asked ourselves after we left City Impact and we went through this internal stuff, like, okay, maybe God just wants us to, like, man, shift the priority. But then we asked ourselves, like, what is the issue that we see? What, what comes, what, in our minds, what is most concerning about San Francisco? And for us, like, a lot of people would say homelessness or gentrification or addiction or the weird policies, like, no more straws. And, like, come on, man, like, for real, I need a straw. No, I'm serious. Like, I don't trust cups. But, um, but two things came to mind that concerns us about San Francisco. Number one, we're the most unchurched major, major metropolis in America. And secondly, no one ever talks about the kids. In fact, the only time kids are brought up is when we say this. It's too expensive to raise them here and they've all left. Not true. There are 130,000 children in San Francisco. And, and, and according to who goes to church, let alone believe, how are we going to see the gospel take root? Yes, planting churches like Sozo and Epic and Father's House and Hillsong and Reality. I love it, man. Canvas. God, bless these churches. That's one way we're going to reach this, this city. But the other way is, is actually even, even I want to say better, but the fact that 64% of Christians today made a decision before Christ made a decision for Christ before the age of 18 tells us that we should also be fishing for children. And so for us, we said, hey, if they're not going to go to church, what we like to say is we're going to Amazon Prime church right to their door. So we built these trucks to go out. We got like a mobile laundry truck, a mobile barbershop. We got a mobile food truck. And then we got this stage truck just like this where we, we go right to the projects, right to the SRO, and we pop open the stage, and we'll have church right there on the street. Because I want to see the gospel take root in this city, and I think the best place to fish is with children. They make the decision before Christ, before 18, 64% of the time. we got to reach the children. That's what we want to do. But along the way, I'm just telling you, that's the systemic issue we feel called to. What is the one you feel called to? But along the way, even in pursuit of solving the big issue, God will introduce us to one person. I just want to close with this story of Joe Best. This is my friend Joe. Man, I love this guy. And everywhere I preach, I bring this. I don't share his story, but I always carry my Bible and Joe's arrest record. Like, what? That's weird. No, no, no. Let me tell you about Joe. In fact, I had it all taped up, and when I spread it's 14 pages long, folks. 14 pages long. I was rereading it again this morning, and I was just crying in my office because when I read the stupid stuff he was doing, carrying dangerous weapon, assaulting an officer, prostitution, petty theft, drugs, exhibiting deadly weapon, armed robbery, taking a vehicle without consent. I mean, that's just page five. 72 arrests over a span of 14 years. This guy has known me since I was young. He's known me half my life. And he'd come to church and we'd pray for him. And he'd leave. What did he do? 
All these years, this is our church member, folks. This is our church member. This is my fellow congregant. And we'd pray for him. And he'd come and he'd weep and we'd pray for him. And he'd go out and he'd do it again and he'd get arrested again and again and again. 72 times over 14 years. And then one day he comes to the rescue mission. No different. He's just like, I just want a meal, man. And I, yeah, come on, Joe. And our, one of our pastors lays hands on his, on his forehead. He falls out of his chair. And if you don't believe in demons and all that, well, that's, that's your issue. It's in the Bible. Demons was coming out of him. He sat up in his right mind and he said, I think I'm free. I want to follow Jesus. So we hired him to be our pickup driver. And for the last six years, he's been picking up all the food that City Impact serves as our driver. Because you don't get on staff unless you have this kind of record. 14 years of investing in one man that produced relatively nothing. And I'm just here to say, if we would have given up on year seven or nine or 11, or 13th, and we said 13, okay, that's seriously enough, we're done. 14th year. We would have never seen Joe come to know God, and why am I crying? Because six months ago, he passed away. But I'll tell you, there's only one guy that I could assuredly say that I'm glad he left this earth because you should hear this man worship. You should have heard this man pray. I've never heard a man pray like this guy. He'd show up the first one at prayer meetings. He would teach all these young kids. They'd come from all over America. I want to change the city. And he'd say, you want to change the city? Show up on prayer on time. And he's big. And I heard him pray, and I heard him worship, and I thought to myself, man, I think all the time there's one guy. I'm so glad he's left this earth because he probably didn't even look back. He doesn't want to come back to the TL and work anymore. He's so glad to be in God's presence. I'm sure he's running on those streets just worshiping like he used to up and down the aisle. Why do I share Joe's story? Because if we would cut and run at any time, we wouldn't have that fruit. Church, we're called to stay put. Don't settle for cheap substitutes. Stay through the seasons because God's doing an internal work in you. And don't bypass that work because he's conforming you. And pursue the one, no matter the cost, no matter if you don't even solve a systemic issue. Just look around your life because God has always got one for you. Father, I pray for Sozo Church in Jesus' name. God, a blessing upon this church. Lord, that you will multiply the seeds that have been scattered, that today by the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit, that you would cause the seeds to take root into the soil, just like Mark, like you said, Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's just a seed that takes root and then grows, and then there's a harvest. But Lord, in the meantime, please don't allow us to bypass the process that you have for us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, 
and Twitter. Have a great day.